The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Hi, I'm Carrie Charles, and I want to welcome you today to 5G Talent Talk. I have a very special guest I'm super excited about. It is Andrew Morawski. He is the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Oracle Communications. Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show today. No, Carrie, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, so am I. So am I. Andrew, we met on LinkedIn, actually, and I looked at your profile and I thought, what an incredible background that you have. I mean, you came from telecom and then you went to a tech company. Can you talk a little bit about your journey and how you got here? Sure. So look, first off, a lot of people don't know, I actually started my career as an installer. <laughs> but I, I think really? I, I realized, <laughs> yeah, I think I realized pretty quickly though, that I enjoyed interacting with customers on site more than I actually enjoyed the installation work. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I actually was able to leverage that experience into an enterprise sales job at Nortel. And uh, let's see, I ended up being one of the top performers in the division and was asked to move over into carrier services. So I did that for a few years too, and was actually fortunate enough to be part of the team that closed the largest deal in Nortel history at the time, which was like $1.4 billion when Southwestern Bell bought PacBell and created SDC. So obviously, you know, the team got very high profile. And from there, a handful of folks actually had left Nortel to start a company called Transwire, which was like mm -hmm. the first competitor to COVAD, offering high-speed internet services based on Nortel's one meg modem. <laughs> it makes me feel so old to hear. To think I was <laughs> You're, so yeah, you've been around for a while, internet. but that's good. Experience. <laughs> Experience. <laughs> for sure. But no, we did that for a few years, and then it sold to Comdisco. But then right as the dot-com bubble was bursting, I got a call from a recruiter, actually, asking if I was interested in being part of an international business. That call ended up being for Telstra, where I ended up working for 10 years with my final four years of being president and CEO of their America's subsidiary. And it's really hard to take that jump from sales leadership to CEO but the one thing I need to credit Telstra with is that they actually had a coach work with me for six months and shadow me in helping me make that transition from sales to a true P&L manager. And look, I don't see it. A lot of times now you see people just thrown into the fire. If you're successful, you get promoted. And then you end up not having the tools that you need to really be successful in the role. So, you know, I was, I was a coach for, for years. That's what I did. An executive uh -huh. coach. So, and, um, and I'm sure yeah. you helped many people. <laughs> I did. I did. So keep going. Keep going. So what was after that? So after that, I went to become MD of the Americas for cable and wireless. I did that for a few years until Vodafone bought us. And, you know, whenever you're acquired by someone, you're either going to have a job or you're not going to have a job. I was actually extremely fortunate to not only survive the acquisition, but to end up in an absolutely incredible role running the IoT division in the Americas. 
it was such a great job, super exciting for me. First of all, I had no IoT experience, uh, which really made it interesting for me. But it was kind of that first time I went from being a generalist to being a specialist. And I really felt like I grew from that opportunity. But after doing that successfully for, what, over four years, I was asked to take on the president role for Vodafone in the Americas and did that for a couple of years. And one day I got a call from an internal executive recruiter at Oracle for the role I'm in now. And I wasn't looking to go anywhere, but it really seemed like an exciting opportunity to join a great company. And I never thought I'd be able to make that jump from telco to tech it's kind of a self-limiting belief. Oh, you're a telco person. You'll never get into tech. But it was just the kind of the perfect storm of opportunity, timing, and experience. I decided to take the plunge, and I, I haven't looked back since. I love it. You know, telco and tech are converging as it is. And there's so many people that are looking to make that jump and thinking, how can I get into tech? And how can I get over there? But truly, it's all coming together. In fact, you know, I'd like to talk about Oracle's role in 5G a little bit now. Sure. Look, it's interesting. And what I get kind of most often is that when people hear Oracle, they, you know, industry leading database or enterprise applications or OCI or uh, cloud infrastructure. But Oracle actually does a lot more than that. So we've got, just to explain where my organization sits within Oracle, we've actually got 10 vertical business units that specialize in building solutions for specific industries. And that's everything from healthcare to retail to construction engineering. The communications business that I lead is actually one of those global business units. So what we do is we specialize in providing telecom solutions, carriers, enterprises, and our products are in thousands of customer networks around the world, including all the top 20 carriers. So a lot of times we end up <laughs> being the, you know, kind of the best kept secret. If you're not in that space, you don't know how Oracle really plays. So people are quite surprised when I have a conversation with them and tell them that if I run Oracle Communications, it's like, oh, what's that? <laughs> That's exactly but, uh, what I thought. I thought, what's that? We need to talk about that because it's just, I hadn't seen that before. So that's awesome. Yeah, but look, our strategy has always been to create market-leading products. And over the years, we built a really strong portfolio across signaling policy and routing for both um, 3G and 4G, as well as session border control. Um, we built on that heritage and our foundation in our approach to 5G, which is truly going to be transformative for the industry. We focused on offering cloud-native core network solution that's enabling our customers to build the most feature-rich and high-performance 5G networks out there. And I'm not a technical guy. I never pretend to be. But one aspect of 5G that really plays to Oracle's strength is the fact that it's a cloud-native technology. So that really let us be the only 5G solutions provider in the market with you know, unlimited access to you know, hyperscale cloud platform experience and skills. Everyone else is, you know, the AWSs and the Microsofts, um, you know, they weren't in the telco space yet when we started. Microsoft just, you know, stepped in with a, an acquisition. But we took full advantage of having that expertise in our approach to designing our 5G products, and it's been super helpful. And so speaking of that cloud-native I guess, cloud-native networking and, and what you've created is there's something called the 5G Next Gen Core. 
And can you talk about that just a little bit more and help us really understand what that means to, let's say, operators and your customers? Yeah. So like I said before, realizing 5G as a cloud native technology has been the singular focus of our design approach. So all our 5G products have been designed from the ground up as cloud native solutions. And that approach has really let us leverage the benefits of a cloud environment in our 5G portfolio in a way that um, solutions based on legacy software um, repurposed to run in a cloud just can't. Um, we didn't stop there when we were building our products. We To help our customers realize the best performance from their 5G networks, we designed our own cloud-native environment that our customers can use to deploy their 5G functions in, and not just Oracle's actually, but in any other cloud-based mm-hmm. function as well. So I think our ability to bring together Oracle's cloud experience and our telecom expertise. And that's really enabled us to build an environment specifically designed to support a specialized workload like a 5G core Mm -hmm. network. Similarly, when you look at 5G network functions, um, we focused on building a portfolio of one of the strongest products in the industry. We've concentrated on the control plan. Again, not to get too technical, but we concentrated on the control plan in our offerings. to build, again, on that heritage of signaling policy and routing. Um, Again, having that focus let us put our energy into making kind of every Oracle product best in class. And, you know, when it comes to to networks, that's what uh, that's what customers need. Wow, you are on the cutting edge with that. It's it's a match made in heaven, it sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. You know, I hear a lot about network slicing and I wanted to, I know you said that you're not the technical person, but can, can you speak about that a little bit? The why, the benefits, what is it? Yeah, sure. And look, and again, for anyone who's thinking about, you know, kind of making that, that career change again, as I said before, I've never been a technical person and where I found success actually is focusing on the business impacts of the technology. So like when I took over the that IoT role. I didn't understand IoT. I didn't know IoT. I couldn't spell IoT. But, but what I did is focus on the impacts that the technology actually has on businesses. And that really enabled me to kind of step forward in the industry as an industry thought leader. I was actually designated an industry thought leader by Wireless World Magazine or something like that back then. And I was like, I don't have any mobility experience. But everybody gets so focused on that technology um, that they forget that there's another part of it. And that actually allowed me to kind of carve a little niche out for myself from a thought leadership perspective. But sorry, just a, a bit of a sidebar from your question. But uh, look, network slicing, there's no doubt that network slicing is one of the game-changing capabilities of 5G. Um, one of the main problems carrier space is that a number of different services and applications that run on their networks, there are so many of them, they all have really different performance and quality demands. So, you know, whether it be, you know, simple best effort, low bit rate messaging services to, you know, kind of mission critical, high definition video applications, it's a really wide range of services that they need to handle on a single network. The problem for carriers has been that they need to build their networks for the most demanding services. And from an investment perspective, it's been difficult to segment the different services in a way that avoids them having to overinvest for services that don't really need kind of full capabilities or similar capabilities to more intensive ones. Okay. Slicing is really going to let a carrier take their single 5G network and break it apart virtually, like it's multiple networks. And you then build slices to support 
very specific service characteristics, right? And that lets the carrier then tailor the capability and the investment to what the slice needs to support. So uh, look, for carriers, it's a huge step forward for controlling their investments and also giving them better network utilization. For enterprises, they'll be able to get customized network solutions that meet the specific needs of their applications. So I think everyone really wins when it comes to network slicing. It's really an exciting feature of 5G. You did a great job explaining it because I'm also not a technical person and I understood you perfectly. So thank you for that. <laughs> Fantastic. My head of strategy would be very proud of <laughs> Exactly, exactly. You get an A plus for that. I just want to go back to what you said that you didn't have experience or you didn't, you know, you didn't have experience in IoT and you really, you know, didn't know much about it at all. Because I think so many times when people look to make a career change, you know, they want to check all the boxes and they want to make sure that they can get into this role and be successful, especially as a leader. And I just want to com commend you for just taking that step because we don't need to know. Many times it's about, you know, having all the other skills and being able to step into that role and learn. And I just think that we need to take more risks, especially in this new environment of telecom with with the network virtualization and the convergence. And we've got to take the risk and we have to up skill and reskill and learn this tech in order to advance. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, look, one of the things that I've come to realize now, you know, at this point in my career is that you've knowing how to do something and being able to deliver are two different things or knowing something and knowing how to deliver are, are two different things. You don't have to know everything to be able to deliver something. And again, for people that want to try to get into tech from telco, my advice would be focus on understanding an industry and then bring that industry expertise to a tech company, right? And that's what I did. I worked for 25 years in something like that, 25 years, maybe. I don't know. I can't do the math off the top of my head. <laughs> for, for a long 20, time. 20, <laughs> long I worked for quite some time. <laughs> quite some time. Uh, in telco, right? For 20 years alone between Telstra and Vodafone. And um, I knew the, the carrier world. I, I knew the telco industry. And when Oracle was searching for someone for this job, they wanted someone from the industry, someone who understood the customer, someone who understood the segment. So even though I, I never sold software before, I never sold SaaS services before, I never run a business that had these components, I was still obviously a very viable candidate if I'm in the job. And you're doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It is going quite well, I will say. <laughs> You're doing a great job. So I know you've talked a little bit about your products and offerings. That it, um, you may want to go into a little bit more depth there on the 5G products and you know the customers that you serve. From a customer perspective, like I said before, we've got thousands of customers networks around the world. But as far as our 5G customers go, they're the early adopters who are already deploying a 5G core network standalone architecture. Um, typically, they're the leading tier one carriers in each of the market. And we've been super successful in getting a significant number of them as our customers. The really great thing about that is that it's been, you know, being, being part of these early deployments has really helped us gain a ton of expertise in deploying 5G networks. And I think that's really lacking in the marketplace. So look, it's just another part of what we bring together for our customers, the ability to not just sell them products or services, but to give them the telecom and cloud experience of Oracle as they start to deploy 5G. And it's, again, it's something that expertise and experience is really lacking in the market, in my opinion. Yes. I want to switch gears a bit because on LinkedIn, you wrote an article, which I just thought was so fascinating. 
it's instinct versus facts when hiring. So can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on instinct versus facts? Yeah, I've grown a lot in this area. I used to be the guy who showed up to the interview looking at the resume right before the meeting and had a chat and then went with my gut, <laughs> with what my gut told me about the candidate. And I'm sure you have seen and see a ton of that. And I look back on it now and I shake my head because it's just such a wasted time. And I was quite fortunate that the majority of the time I hired the right people. But going back to my days at Telstra, I think my eighth year there or something, seventh year, I was fortunate enough to have been trained in behavioral interviewing. And now, you know, I prepare for interviews and spend upwards of two hours with the candidate, you know, and have real discussion about their experiences and things that they've done in their career that shows that they've got the experience needed to be successful in the role that they're interviewing for. So um, I think I still depend on instincts a bit for judging if, if someone's genuine or not, because uh, that's quite important to me and a leader. But again, we just hired a few regional heads around the world. And that final candidate, I spent literally two hours with each of them. I think one of them was two and a half hours. And it's not one of those, you know, I don't interview, I'm not that guy who makes it painful for you. It just, if you have the right, dis if you have the right question, that tie to what you want the person in the role to be able to deliver, it turns into just a, a fantastic conversation. And I've gotten really positive feedback on it well, from people who did well, the people who didn't, didn't do well, obviously, <laughs> obviously don't really enjoy, enjoy behavior. <laughs> right, right. Well, can you share one question without giving too much away? I don't know if it's your secret, but maybe share one behavioral interview question that you like. It really depends on the role. They're all different, but, you know, from a leadership perspective, right. you know, like how would your team describe your leadership style? Can you give me an example of, of why they would describe you that way? It's like really digging in. And then how would your peers and other managers describe you in the business and kind of digging in and it's all flowing as you're digging down, as you're going through the questions, but you know, like what role does leadership play for managers? And then how have you demonstrated this? Can you give me an example of how you've demonstrated this? Can you tell me about a time when things got really tough and how did you rally your team to build morale? Like that kind of stuff. You're really digging into someone's experience and, you know, kind of almost guiding them to start storytelling because those are really the most successful interviews. I remember actually my interview with my boss at Oracle, a gentleman named Mike Cecilia. And I think it was like our third meeting. It was our first in-person meeting. I think he asked maybe one question, maybe two, and the rest just was storytelling and a discussion. And as a candidate, you've got to be prepared to go in and tell that story of yourself and have examples of what you've done. And not just what you've done, because everybody kind of writes what you do on your resume, but how do you bring that to life? How do you tell the story around, I spoke to this person and did this, this didn't work. So I actually went here and worked on A, B, C, and D, and we were able to turn around the entire project, things like that. that I think that's, I think a lot of candidates actually don't realize that in coming into an interview, if you're asked the right question that gives you an opportunity to tell your story, you could talk for a half hour just about the things you've done. And that gives a hiring manager uh, confidence in you and your ability because they've seen that you've done it before. And that's kind of the whole premise for me of behavioral interviewing, right? Like past behavior predicts future performance. Brilliant. I love that because I think <laughs> that candidates, sometimes they don't really, like you said, 
make their story come to life and give those examples. And it's more like, look, I am multitasker and I'm a great leader. I'm this, I'm that. And, you know, having those examples are, I think are crucial. The other thing you said, which really stuck with me is that you prepare for your interviews. And I think that that is something that's missing these days with so many leaders because we're so busy and people are just running from meeting to meeting to meeting. And, you know, that preparation time really gives you a moment to draft your messaging. And I'll have to admit, you know, looking at the instinct versus facts article, I run a lot of, you know, my life through instinct, right? Through gut or the intuition as women call it, right? (laughs) But I thought it was very interesting because I thought, you know, you're right. Because if we really go based on our gut, we have to be careful because we have biases that can get in the way of our hiring. And that was screaming out at me when I read your article. And I thought that's so smart because you take that out of it, that bias out of it. And I just really enjoyed that. So there are two parts to it, right? So you can, you know, you've got the assessment side and then the instinct side. You have to find a middle ground because from an instinct perspective, you're most comfortable with people that are like you, right? That, you know, if you're both type A personalities, if you're both, um, you're just comfortable and your intuition can be kind of clouded, right? But then there's the other end of the spectrum and type people that, oh, you know, we put people through the, you know, corn ferry assessment and the person didn't test well, but, you know, they seem like a really good candidate. Uh, look, I, I'm not a big fan of, of any of those assessments at all. Like maybe just because I, I don't test well, <laughs> but I don't feel it's, it's really an indicator of what someone's capable of, of, unless it's, you know, a very specific technical role where you need to test the skill. So yeah, it is really, it's hard to find that balance. You've got to kind of find a way to turn off your bias and also understand the technical aspects of the role you're hiring for. And that's why I feel like if you can extract storytelling from a candidate, then you've done a good job. I feel absolutely horrible. And I'll apologize to to people here now for all the interviews that I conducted that way. Because look, it's not fair to a candidate. You know, you got to really give them an opportunity. And the other thing I like to do is interview people, people that I like multiple times, because sometimes people have a bad day or sometimes people have a great day. You've got to get a real cross section, either seeing them multiple times yourself or have them seeing multiple people within the organization. I'll tell you, those regional roles that we just hired for around the world, those people went through probably a, a six or seven round interview with different folks throughout the business, just getting and as much to educate them on the business and as it is to get an understanding of who they are and and how they work, how they operate. I see a book in your future on interviewing and hiring (laughs) tactics. I just see it. (laughs) My crystal ball. If you will ghostwrite it for me, I'll be more than happy. I will do that. I'll do that. Definitely in my spare time for sure. (laughs) No, I love it. You are a great leader. I mean, you've just accomplished so much. In your view, what are three characteristics or three factors that make a great leader in today's world? It's different today than it just and then it was two years ago. It is. And, and look, I, I was actually fortunate to be ahead of this curve. And I had some personal things that went on in my life that made me really reflect on what's important. I actually, I lost my sister to cancer. She was in her forties and it really, it makes you think, all right, you know, why am I doing this? You know, what am I doing? And one of the things outside of, you know, kind of finding passions that I want to pursue, the other thing it really, really gave me was uh, empathy. And I think that's probably the first one. 
especially in the times that we're operating in now. On top of uh, empathy, I would say authenticity, right? You've got to be real. You've got to be genuine if you're going to want anyone to follow you or to trust you. I think leadership now is really about building trust, especially because all those jobs that I walked you through earlier, they a lot of those or all of them, for the most part, were turnarounds. And when you step into an, a turnaround environment and got people that are kind of beaten down, people that think, oh, you know, we're, we're not successful, um, and you've got to get them to believe, and then you've got to get them to believe in something, but they've got to believe in you first. And if you're not authentic, you're not going to get that trust with your employees. And uh, you said three, right? So what's the third one? Uh, Ownership, like leading from the front. And I always said this since my first sales job, I would never, ever ask anyone to do something that I wouldn't do myself. So that's how I lead. I take ownership of things. I make sure that I'm not asking anyone to do things that I don't do myself, you know, and I don't push people to work on weekends. I don't feel like that whole, if you're working really hard and you're killing yourself, that says you're a great employee. You know, I think it's the opposite. I think if you're a well-rounded person who knows how to get their job done from nine to five or eight to six, whatever people work, then just as much respect for you as I do for the person who's putting in 10 hours a day, right? They're just different kind of people. But again, I don't ask anyone to put in the 10 to 12 hours a day. I ask people to do what I do and that's be passionate about what you're doing and care about the people that you work with. Can I come work for you? You're so inspiring. <laughs> Are you hiring? I'm really good it, at behavioral in a, interviews. <laughs> in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Andrew. What is it like to work at Oracle? Tell me a little bit about the culture. Look, I'll tell you, I was actually a bit nervous to join Oracle. For the past 20 years, like I said before, I worked for foreign companies. Right. So the thought of working for an American company was scary. You know, I'm used to, you know, everyone taking long holidays and (laughs) just a different mentality. But I have to say, I absolutely love it. There's such a good energy at Oracle. And I've never been around so many smart people and such an incredible drive to get things done. And maybe it's the difference of going from, you know, kind of an incumbent carrier world um, to being in a tech company, but it's incredibly fast paced. And it's a, it's a huge difference from, from anywhere that I've worked before. And speaking of talent, I really love how easy it is to attract talent. When I first came in here, I pulled back from folks in my network. And if you're going to a post-it.com to, <laughs> right? to try and hire someone or go to Oracle and just say, you know, I looked around my desk and saw post-its. That's how I came up with that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have a lot here too, right? I've got one right there. So. <laughs> um, when you say that, you know, hey, I'm doing this really interesting, cool thing at Oracle, I'd love you to come and do it with me. Like people are really quick to say, yeah, that sounds really cool. Let's talk about it. No, I agree. And I definitely think that you have something to do with that too, with hiring. Let's talk about the careers at Oracle. I mean, obviously you are hiring and there's probably a multitude of different roles. And tell me your careers page, like where would the audience go to learn more about the openings at Oracle? Yeah, so two places are probably best. Um, Oracle.com backslash careers is the first one. That's every job opening for in Oracle anywhere in the world. But we also post a considerable number of roles on LinkedIn and have actually found a considerable number of candidates on LinkedIn. So I think back to your advice question before for people, I would say, even if you don't feel that you're a hundred percent a fit for a role that's posted, if you feel you're in the ballpark, um, 
don't underestimate yourself and don't underestimate the experience that you bring to the table. Like, yeah, if you're not the exact fit, you might not make it past the screening page, but you know, you just never know what the person on the other side is looking for. So if you really think it's a job that you can do and you're passionate about and be good at it, then apply for it. You know, that would be probably the biggest piece of advice I'd have to people looking for jobs in Oracle or anywhere else for that matter. A little, beyond, a little beyond you. your question, but <laughs> no, it's it, you're spot on because people don't. And in fact, women, it's very different for women than men because women really need to check almost every box before they'll actually apply. And so okay. that's another key is just go ahead and apply and take the action and move forward. I think that's brilliant advice. And I'm so excited. I've learned so much in this interview about Oracle and really it's, it's inspired me. And so we will definitely hear at Broadstaff send great people your way for sure. Andrew, this has just been wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. I would love to have you on again someday and just continue this conversation at another time. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to doing it again. Of course. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.